If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, 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 hoj här kommer Carlson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson. Yes. Carlson. Welcome everybody to an episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who could laugh all he wants. At the end of the day, I've never even come close to getting 5,000 people to come watch me record a podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski, and with me for the second year in a row to talk all about the interesting rebuild process of the Arizona Coyotes, it's Craig Morgan from GoPhoenix.com. Welcome to the show, Craig. Thank you. I feel like we're going to be talking about a lot of the same themes that we discussed last season. Yeah. Should I just start by being like, is is Phil Kessel going to sign? I remember we had a really interesting discussion <laughs> last year about what's going to happen with Kessel. Uh, you you really thought that he was going to get traded at some point or he was going to try. I guess that didn't work out. And now he, he hasn't even signed yet. Uh, I'm yeah. surprised about that. Yeah, he definitely wanted to be traded. His agent wanted to be traded. Uh, they came to Bill Armstrong and said he wanted to be traded. The problem was there were no teams that wanted Phil Kessel. And even at the trade deadline, there were only a couple teams that even inquired. And those teams basically wanted the Coyotes to pay to have Phil Kessel come oh, wow. to them. So that's that's how ugly the situation got for Phil Kessel. So I'm I'm really curious to see how it's going to play out. If he If he does find a home... He's really going to have to accept uh, a much lower salary than he's accustomed to and and probably a very short term as well. Yeah, but you'd, you'd think he'd still have some value to some team. He did have like over 50 points on this Coyotes team. Uh, another thing from last season, though, that I that I definitely messed up is I didn't even ask you about Nick Schmaltz. To me, he was sort of like an afterthought, like, ah, I don't even, what are we going to ask? Like, oh, yeah, he's another, he's a 50-point guy, give her, you know, and then obviously he broke up. Anyways, we've got lots to talk about this year. I guess let's set the table first before we get into the players. Uh, I guess last year went exactly as planned. <laughs> like, you know, when we were talking last year, it was like the plan is to come last place or near last place accumulate these picks and assets and like i yeah they came second last in the league there was actually some positives there was that random short stretch at the start of march where they were scoring like five plus goals every single game on the podcast we were starting to talk about whether you have to be afraid to play goalies who were playing against the coyotes because they kept blowing teams up uh so that was interesting clayton keller had that huge breakout that you know i guess we've been waiting forever for so I'm curious to know, what's the current vibe from Coyotes fans right now? Like, are people feeling optimistic about the future? Are they happy with this past season? Or is it just like a continued feeling of despair that it's going to still be a long, long time before a playoff run is in the picture? 
I just think there's so little focus on what's happening on the ice right now. Uh, clearly, I mean, in the national media, there's a lot of focus on what's going to be happening on the ice because it's coming in a much smaller arena. And we'll get to that in a moment, I'm sure. But I think everybody understands by now that this is a full rebuild. This is sort of something that the Coyotes probably should have done in the past, and they never fully committed to it. They were always stuck in limbo, trying to make enough money to survive in this market maybe sign a couple players that that they shouldn't have signed. You look at, for instance, the John Chica era when they brought in Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall, added two pieces that really didn't belong on a team that was still so thin up the middle and had such other holes. They never fully committed to a rebuild. Well, Bill Armstrong came in, took a year to, re- to evaluate the entire hockey operations department from bottom to top, and then said, that's exactly what we're doing. There's not enough talent here to do anything more than compete for maybe a bottom playoff spot. So he stripped it down. You saw all the players going out. You saw all the bad contracts that they took on in exchange for draft assets. Well, this draft was the first time where we finally got to see them cash in on some of those chips with the possible exception of Dylan Gunther, who they got out of the, you know, they, they got the, the season before when they made the trade with Vancouver. Um, they got a bunch of players that they're really excited about in this draft. We'll have to wait and see whether those guys pan out. There's a lot of development ahead, but this is exactly what has been sold to the fan base. And I will give Bill Armstrong credit for them. He has been very transparent about what he's trying to do. He said the teams he hasn't come out and said, we're going to be God awful on the ice, but he pretty much said, we're going to be a bad team. We're going to be at the bottom of the standings. We're going to build through the draft and it's going to take a while. So I think Coyotes fans understand it. I think they're, on board with the idea that they're finally committing to this. And then with the arena stuff, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see if that bears fruit as well. If it all comes together, though, if they get the arena approved and built and they come out of this rebuild, it should all come together around the same time. And then there could be a lot of optimism around this franchise. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. And, you know, I've been hearing some people saying my co-host Brian was saying how he thinks it would be fun if he was in the Arizona area, like the Tempe area, he would want to go to a game just because it'll be such an intimate setting. Like, are you, are we expecting? So it's 5,000 seats approximately at the Arizona State University uh, Stadium. Like, are, are we expecting sellouts at least? Like, like, now that it's such a smaller stadium, are we expecting like rocking like full stadiums for these Coyotes games? Yeah, I've toured the arena three times, most recently, just a couple weeks ago. Um, it's, it is 5,000 seats. They had uh, started their season ticket sales, and they were I know they, a couple weeks ago, they were already two-thirds sold out. They hadn't even opened it up to single-game tickets. Listen, you hear the narrative around North America that they're not going to be able to sell out this arena. They're going to sell out this arena. It's not even going to be an issue. So forget what you've heard from some pundits. They're definitely going to sell it out. And when you look at this arena... Because of the intimate setting, because of the low ceiling, it's going to be a really loud venue. They've even allotted some seats uh, at one end of the arena for Arizona State students to come in at a discounted price and have that sort of college atmosphere, that raucous atmosphere. I think this place is going to be nuts to watch a game. It's weird that it's an NHL team there. It's, it's really a great arena for Arizona State to play in, but to be able to watch NHL hockey that up close and personal is really going to give you a different feel for the game than I think a lot of fans get normally. You know, I actually have a memory back in, I guess it would have been 1993. I went to see an Ottawa Senators game at the Civic Center, which was a pretty small arena, but I was just a little kid. 
from what I recall, I think the Sens beat Washington six to five. I think Alexander Degla had a game winning goal. Someone's gonna have to check check me on that. And actually, no, Degla wasn't there in the first season, so it might have been the second season. But anyway, yeah, I, I think there's something to it, like being in this intimate setting, and and I think it'll be interesting to see and watch these games maybe on TV. Of course, the team on the ice has to give us something interesting to watch. So I, mean, I guess we could get into the this team now. I remember one thing from last year in my interview with you. I was like nonplussed. I was like, are they really gonna go into the season with Carter? Hutton and Joseph like Kajanash as their two goalies because at the time that's who we thought the pairing could be maybe Prosvitov would have a shot but you told me that you think their plan is to keep Prosvitov in the minors they had chipped out like Kemper Ranta Hill they had nobody I was like I've never seen a team like this with goalies that have like no NHL experience or like in Carter Hutton's case the exact opposite just like uh, too much experience I don't know like uh, not <laughs> enough uh, ability to keep going uh, then out of the blue this guy Carol V. Melka came into the picture as a 25 year old that had been playing his entire career career in Chechia and all things considered like he wasn't that bad right like he played 52 games 898 save percentage that's not going to turn any heads but there were some big games throughout the year where he would stop like 35 plus give the chance a team to win so I'm curious like what's your first of all where did he come from and also like what what did you think of Vemalka's rookie season and do you think he has a future as an NHL starter well, he, I mean, first of all, to start where he came from, he was originally a draft pick of the Nashville Predators, but they wanted him to develop in the minor leagues, and he didn't want to do that. He thought his development might be better served in Chechia, and and then he sort of was forgotten about, but one of the Coyote scouts that does uh, Central Europe, uh, his name's Teal Fowler, was watching him in a game and, and was really impressed. He you know, he called their their main scouts and said, we need to get over and see this guy. So they got a lot of eyes on him and they thought that he might be ready. And when you look at what the situation was with the Coyotes, clearly that that presented an opportunity as well. You mentioned the three the three guys that went out the door. Uh, they brought him over. He wasn't supposed to be on the NHL roster to start the season. It was going to be Carter Hutton and, and Joseph Koshinash. Vemelka so outplayed Kojinash in camp that they decided they were going to keep him. And the expectation was he would be the backup, which is really the role that he probably should have served last season. But then, you know, Carter Hutton has that first game where he gave up basically a goal every other shot and was an utter disaster in goal. Then he gets hurt and they had no one to turn to other than Karel Vemelka. He has a terrific game in Buffalo. He did have a lot of ups and downs, but I think you chalk that up as much as anything, at least at this point, to the fact that he just wasn't ready to be an NHL starter. That's a grind. That's a lot to ask a guy who's been playing in the European leagues to step into a starting NHL role. I don't think that was fair. And there were times where I thought maybe they overworked him a little bit, but they wanted to see what he was capable of, get a really good feel for him. Bill Armstrong told me, honestly, we're not going to know what we have in this guy really until you get a full year plus in, but they do need to add another goaltender. I think to at least split time with him right now. I don't think they have that guy yet. I think they're still, in fact, I know they're still in the goalie market. They're going to see what else shakes out and try and find a guy who can maybe, you know, maybe split time with Bevelka. Because when you look at when they got Scott Wedgwood in and they were splitting time, that worked much better. I thought both goaltenders were much more effective in that situation. Yeah. Wedgwood with, what was it? His second or third stint with the team. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if he'll ever come back one, one last time. But obviously, he's happy in, in Dallas right now. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, who else is there aside from Faye Melka? I was going to wonder, like, who's the next? Like, last year, you were saying how maybe they... You also said something similar. Like, they're still in the goalie market. They're going to try to get someone. Next thing you know, they get Faye Melka out of Chechia. I, it, it, do you think that there is a goalie sort of in the system that we're not considering or someone, like, out there? Or do you think they're going to bring someone? Because right now, correct me if I'm wrong, it looks like Ivan Prosvitov 
would be the second guy in the system right now. And he is coming off not a great season in Tucson, right? 880 save percentage in his 45 games played. So I'm curious to know if you think Prosvetov is ready or it sounds like you're saying they need to find someone else. Yeah, they got John Gillies as well, um, but he's probably going to be in the AHL. They really want Prosvetov to develop in the AHL. and, And honestly, he wasn't very good last season. He he has been their top goaltending prospect, but they felt he took a step back last year, and he's he's in the last year of a contract, so this is an important year for him. I think they want him to play a lot in Tucson. Again, I don't know what Bill's going to do in far as, as far as the goaltending situation for a backup or a 1A because um, it was so far outside the box last year, but he's going to be looking at the waiver wire. He's going to look at opportunities for trades with teams that may need to dump someone late. He's going to look at free agents who are looking for a home ver- as, as camps roll around and they realize they might be left without a chair. And again, maybe maybe he'll look to Europe again if he, if he has to. So there are a lot of options to consider, but I do think that they are definitely looking to bring in another goaltender. I guess it didn't work out with Harry Sateri. I saw he, <laughs> he signed back no. in Europe. <laughs> That didn't go well, actually. He didn't play very well once he was here either. So they were content to move on from him. Do you think they just took him? Because that, that was an interesting situation, right? The Leafs claimed him, but then he had to go on waivers. And then Arizona swooped in and took him. Was part of that just for fun, just to mess with the Leafs? Or did they actually like really want to help no, him? I think they needed a goalie. So yeah. they, they swooped in and got him. I don't think they're trying to punish another team. I know... Kyle Dubas has suggested that sometimes, <laughs> but I, I'm not sure that's the case. Okay. All right. So let's switch to the skaters now. And let's talk about the fantastic seasons that Clayton Keller and Nick Schmaltz just put up. Like somehow Keller and Schmaltz both just put up career high point paces, 77 point pace for each of them if they had played 82 games, which unfortunately neither of them did. But that was on a team that scored the fewest goals in the entire league. So to me, that's like maybe even more impressive. And like starting with Keller, this is a guy who had put up like three straight 50 point seasons after that rookie breakout was starting to look like his contract was a bit of an overpay. You were telling me last year that like maybe management is a little worried that he's not going to develop into the star that like people were hoping he would be. And then, you know, he started the season just as cold as ever, right? Six points in his first 16 games. Uh, he was getting dropped in fantasy leagues that I was in. I was dumb and didn't pick him up like I should have. Uh, and then something clicked like, or I don't even click as like an understatement. Like he completely exploded after that 57 points in his next 51 games before suffering that scary fractured leg at the end of March to end his season. So obviously I want to get an injury update, but first do you have any sense of what caused him to change and go from being such a underperformer to this major superstar? A couple of things. Um, I think I mentioned to you last year on the show that in all of those previous NHL seasons, Clayton Keller had only added five pounds from his yes, draft year. Did, yeah. Well, he went into last offseason, and, and at media day, he told me, I put on seven pounds of muscle because I had asked him, I said, did you bulk up? Because it really looked like he had bulked up. He put on seven pounds of lean muscle mass, and it really helped him to go from being more of a player that, that liked to stay on the perimeter. I think that was maybe a little bit tentative to go inside to a guy that would dart more to the net, who would get into those tougher areas. And that really helped him produce points by going to those areas. The other side of it was as Andre Turingi, the new coach, got a feel for him, he gave him more and more opportunity. Clayton was out there in a lot of situations. He had him, you know, protecting leads late in games. The Coyotes didn't have a lot of those leads, obviously, but he was out late in those situations. He was even playing some penalty kill. I think he got a lot of confidence playing under Andre Turingi. And then, you know, we saw the explosion that he had last season. Um, Before we switch over to Schmaltz, though, I want to mention, you know, you look at their two point totals last season and what they did. It's all the more amazing to me when you consider that their center for the vast majority of last season 
was Travis Boyd, yeah. who couldn't even couldn't even crack the lineup consistently in Toronto as a fourth line setter. It's wild. Yeah, I guess there was a little bit of Barrett Hayton there, but yeah, Travis Boyd is he? Good? Are we, is the plan now for next year? Do you think Travis Boyd is going to once again center that top line, or is there is there someone else that can maybe take that job? Uh, there's there's not a lot of great options at the center position right now, and they did have some chemistry. I mean, look at the numbers that Travis Boyd put up; those were really surprising. People didn't think he was a regular regular NHL player, and he had a, a decent season for himself. So, you know, like I said, listen. Lines are fluid throughout the season with every team. There are a lot of changes for a variety of reasons, whether it's injuries or slumps or you're just trying to get a different look uh, in different matchups. But those guys did have some chemistry, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if the three of them played together again. Yeah, so it could be one of those things. If it's like a week where Arizona plays a bunch of games, maybe you grab Travis Boyd in your league. He had 35 points in 74 games. So yeah, not nothing. I guess sticking with Keller, though, like, so he had this injury. Uh, any update on how his recovery is going after that surgery last March? You think he's going to be ready to go to start the season? And also, like, even regardless of the injury, do you think he could do this again? Like, is he actually uh, like a point per game guy that we can bank on? Or was there a bit like I, he had a bit of a high shooting percentage? I don't know. I'm just trying to I don't want to like tell people that that Keller's uh, like a sure thing now just for him to sort of fall off again. Yeah, I, I, there are a lot of uh, first off on the injury front. Um, He's been skating for several weeks now. All along, he has been ahead of schedule in his recovery. So the expectation is that he's going to be ready for camp and there shouldn't be any issues. Um, from, from all accounts, he's doing really well in his rehab. Um, as far as replicating this season, it's a really good question because when you come and face the Coyotes now and they've got a body of evidence to, to look at and see what Clayton Keller's doing, what his tendencies are, everyone knows that you got to shut him down. You got to shut Nick Smaltz down and that's pretty much all you have to worry about on this team in terms of high point producers. So he's going to face a lot more tough matchups this season, even maybe than last year. I think he started to face those later in the season, but he's going to face it consistently. So it's going to be up to him to adjust to yet another level of competition. And again, he's going to have to do it without anything close to a top six center playing between he and Nick Schmaltz. Yeah, unfortunately, the plan was, you know, back in 2019, like the Barrett Hayton, I guess, was going to be that guy. He did finally get in a full season in the league, well, 60 games, uh, only 23 points, uh, did get spend some time in the top six. But uh, I'm curious to get an update on Hayton, I guess from your answer of saying they don't have anything close to a top six center, I guess that means that is it time for me to stop asking you every year about Barrett Hayton because it's not going to work out the way people hoped? No, I think it's more how Andre Turin views him at this stage of his career because he's so young. You know, there are a lot of people that were focused on Barrett Hayton's stats, and, and you should be when he's a draft pick that's that high, you know, number five overall. You, you should be putting up points. That's the bottom line. But Andre's point was at his age, he was out there facing the toughest matchups on a nightly basis. He was, he was drawing the number one line. He said it was a lot, you know. He didn't really want to put him in that situation. So if you look at what happened over the last couple months of the season, he dropped him into the number three center spot. And that's when Barrett started having more success at the offensive end as well. I think he just wants to bring him along a little more slowly. Let him play against better matchups in better situations. He's, he's a very, very responsible defensive player. Um, he likes all those other parts of his game away from the puck. He thinks the offense will come. That remains to be seen, of course, but I think they want to bring him along a little more slowly, especially when you consider what happened in the first couple seasons of Barrett Ayton's career. I mean, he, he goes to World Juniors. They, they, they kept him on the team. 
He goes to World Juniors, and the, the idea was all along that he could use that as a springboard, come back with a lot of confidence, and jump right into the NHL lineup. We played really well at World Juniors, of course, scored the goal that tied the gold medal game against Russia, despite playing with a, a dislocated shoulder. But that shoulder required like more than a month of rehab. And then when he got back, he wasn't right. Then you have COVID. You had all these setbacks, other injuries, where Barrett Hayton's development over those two years was completely disjointed and really, I think, hurt his chance to sort of develop on more of an even line. So I think they just want to bring him along slowly. They still have confidence in him as maybe a middle six center, but I don't think that they view him as a number one center. Right. I guess that makes sense at this point. And yeah, it's he's still, yeah, it's hard to, it's, I guess it was 2018 actually that he got drafted, but he's still like very young, only 22 years old. I see he's actually not signed right now. He's a RFA. Uh, do you think that's a concern or is it just a matter of time? It's the process. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll, that'll happen. There's a lot of time left on the clock. So yeah. they just got Lawson Krause signed. So he's their last player on side. And I expect that will happen. Okay. Yeah. And uh, one of our patrons, uh, Stephen, wanted me to ask you about Nate Smith. I guess we're talking about the center depth on the team. Uh, I'd, I had to be honest. I told him, like, I'm not really sure who that is. But then I, I looked it up and he's someone who's, you know, signed to uh, ELC. He's on his, on his second year. Last year, he played 10 games with Arizona, four points, actually two goals and two assists. Spent the rest of the year in the Minnesota State University where he did really well, 50 points in 38 games. Is Nate Smith someone that we should have on our radars to crack the team? And, you know, there's not that much competition, right? for these center spots so maybe he can get a shot yeah he's they got him from winnipeg um he he made it clear that he wasn't going to sign there that he was going to go to free agency um but with arizona he was going to have a chance to play right away when he came in late last season so he jumped in and he showed him some offensive ability um i think what happened there though you know bill was trying to build up the center depth of this franchise they got jack mcbain from minnesota as well uh, in, in a similar situation, McBain wasn't going to play there and he knew it. So he wanted out and he basically asked for a trade um, with Nathan Smith in particular. I think it's going to be tough for him to make the roster this season. I think he could end up down in Tucson developing for a little while. He's got another year on his contract. Um, and they, like I said, they wanted to give him some playing time to see what he could do with the NHL club. He wanted that look. And it gets you to free agency faster, right? When you, when you get that situation, you get to burn that year of your ELC. But it's going to be tough for him when, even when you look at the Coyotes forward group, um, when you start, you know, planning out all the lines, Nate Smith has a tough assignment ahead of him to be a regular on this roster. And if he's not going to be a, a regular on the uh, on the lineup sheet, it makes no sense to have him up here as an extra forward. You might as well have him down in Tucson. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, so I guess we still have a couple more forwards I'm curious to ask you about. So, uh, and then, of course, the defense. We, we got a lot to talk about. The Arizona team is, is pretty interesting. Uh, so we'll get to all that in just a sec. You're listening to Kevin Carlson. All right, we are back with Craig Morgan talking about the Coyotes. And yeah, of course, one big forward that we mentioned but we haven't dug into yet is, of course, Nick Schmaltz, the other 77-point pace player from this team last season. He, like Clayton Keller, he also started slow. He had no points in his first five games. I'm sure he was available to everyone in their fantasy leagues if they would have thought to snap him up. But why would they have? Uh, then he suffered an injury, kept him out till mid-December. But after that, phenomenal 58 points in 57 games after coming back from injury to end his season. This even included a nice run at the end of the 
the season after Keller got injured. Maybe some people are thinking, oh, you got to play with Clayton Keller. That's why he did well. But he was playing with the Travis Boyds, Nick Ritchies, Barrett Haydens, and still putting up all of these points. Uh, previously, Schmaltz had been, you know, basically a 50-ish point guy that I thought you could set your watch to. Uh, what do you think happened here with him? Did he put on seven pounds of muscle as well? Or what was it about Schmaltz that turned him into a star? <laughs> no, I, I think Nick Schmaltz could still stand to put on seven pounds of muscle, uh, actually, <laughs> when, when you look at him. But you know, he got he he was really ineffective early. He was struggling. He was floundering, and he had that hand injury. He actually had a broken bone in his hand, and he came back. And even then, when he did, when he had rehabbed it, it, it wasn't quite right. But he really started to get a feel for what Andre Turinu wanted from him. Nick Schmaltz's strength is the transition game, with the puck on his stick through middle ice. There are very few players in this game that can move the puck faster through middle ice than Nick Schmaltz can. He's really effective. I think he's really underrated in terms of back pressure defensively through the neutral zone as well, just because of that speed. And he's really started using that to his advantage over the, the, the second half of the season, really the final three months when he just blew up. He had that seven point game against Ottawa, which is a franchise record. He looked like a completely different player. He looked like the player that they envisioned when they traded Dylan Strome and Brendan Perlini for him a, a couple seasons earlier. I, again, I don't know if Nick Schmaltz can keep up this pace either. His shooting percentage was also elevated, and you expect some regression there. But he's also a playmaker, he, and he made a lot of beautiful plays. I mean, he and, he and Keller just found some chemistry. They really like playing together. So I'm curious to see what he can do, if he can sustain this. But when Bill Armstrong looks at those two guys, and, and this gives you a sense of, of how they view those guys, uh, and, and their money really slots into those areas, especially down the road when the cap goes up. Bill Armstrong said to me one time, imagine those two guys as your second line wings. And, and of course, they still need the center. The Coyotes keep drafting centers in hopes that they'll fill out those slots. But that's where he really sees those two guys. If those can be your second line wings, and then you envision like a Dylan Gunther or maybe a Logan Cooley up on the, the top line, and, and we'll see who else they fill in around him. He's really excited about that because when they can play, maybe not against the other team's top defensive pair, they might have some real opportunity to do damage. Right, yeah. So maybe next year it'll be tough for Keller and Schmaltz to repeat what they did. But yeah, once the rest of these prospects come in, yeah, if Cooley and Genther are the top liners and then Keller and Schmaltz are not facing the toughest competition, yeah, it totally makes sense that they could really feast again. Uh, but in the meantime, they'll play with uh, Travis Boyd, maybe, or, or whoever it will be, and, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's hard for me to like really buy into yeah next season for the Coyotes. But uh, to be fair, I didn't buy into last year thinking these guys could do what they did. So you never know. Uh, after Keller and Schmaltz, if you look at the leading scores on the team, next you have poor Phil Kessel, who still isn't signed anywhere. I assume he's not coming back to Arizona. Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so then after that, uh, as far as forwards go, it was Lawson Krauss, the next guy on the list. And he jumps out to me as someone that I recall talking about on the podcast last year. He had some value. There were times throughout the season where he was having some big games. He ended up with 20 goals, 34 points in 65 games. So if he had played all 82 games, he would have had like around 25 goals, 42 points. He also showed up in the stat sheet every game in the hits column. He amassed a, a whopping 181 hits overall, though I say whopping, but I look back to a uh, four 
seasons ago. He had a year where he had 288 hits with the Coyotes averaging only like 13 minutes of ice time. Now he like had so much more ice time and I guess he had different responsibilities than just throwing the body. So should we assume now he just yesterday signed a five-year 4.3 million AAV contract? I, I assume this means that the Coyotes expect him to continue to grow into like a person who's also producing offensively like he did last year and not just the big hitter. And uh, Maybe eventually he could even... Do you think there's a chance that he can turn into the guy Florida hoped they were drafting when they took him 11th overall in 2015? Yeah, I'm not sure he's going to be quite that level, but Bill Armstrong loves Lawson Krause. He's, nice. he's a prototypical player. If you look at the teams that he built in St. Louis, they're big and fast, right? And they're physical. Lawson Krause has all those abilities. He's, he is a big kid. Uh, but he can skate. He really can get up and down the ice. He's a north-south player. If you look at how he gets his offense, it's basically off the rush, receiving a pass. He'll one-time it or he'll get to the net. Those are the areas where he can really help you, and he's also really responsible defensively. There's a lot of room for for growth in his game because last year, again, like like those other guys, but I think even to a greater degree, Lawson Krause really got an opportunity. Uh, he had a career high in average time on ice last season and really took advantage of it. Um, Again, 65 games. I wonder what he would have done in a full season, but he's going to get similar opportunities under Andre Turinier because the coach is also a big fan of his. I think there's room for growth in his game. I'd like to see Lawson Krause, like if, if guys have an off-season project, I'd like to see him work on his passing to become more of a, a threat, a playmaking threat than he is right now. And you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna change a guy completely and make him into a playmaker. But I think that maybe is a, a little bit of a weakness in his game. But this is a guy with more room for growth in his game without question. And then when you look at what he does off the ice, and I know this gets said a lot, it gets overrated a lot, but this is an immensely popular player on the team and with management. He is just one of those quality guys that you want to build your culture of your team around. Okay, well, great. And obviously they decided they didn't want to go to the arbitration. <laughs> 11th hour, buddy. I mean, that was crazy. They were actually in the room, in the hearing room. That's how late it went before this deal was struck. I really thought when we got to that morning, because the, the hearing was at 9 a.m. Ontario time, 6 a.m. here. And I figured when I got up, there's no way that they're settling at this point. They're going to a hearing. And then as they get into the room, I get, I get word that the, the deal has been struck. It's crazy how it went down. Nice. And then after that, okay, we've talked through, I guess, four forwards. I'm kind of running out of forwards to ask you, but is there any, like, I guess the what here, here's one name that I'm curious about. I guess Nick Ritchie came in at the end of the year from Toronto, 14 points in 24 games, 10 goals, nothing to sneeze at, right? Is he, is he like someone that we should expect to be a top sixer? And maybe, I don't know, if you, if you follow that through, that's like a 50 point ish guy, similar to Phil Kessel numbers. Certainly a top nine guy. Um, the, here's the thing with Nick Ritchie that I think, the, the dream scenario, and we'll get to a defenseman who's going to be the same situation. Nick Ritchie doesn't really fit the profile of their team coming out of the rebuild. Uh, not necessarily style. Style absolutely does. But age-wise, I think that if Nick Ritchie can replicate what he did uh, when he once he came over from Toronto, which, which is bizarre, right? Because he couldn't succeed at all with Austin Matthews and, and Mitch yeah. Marner as his line mates. Yet he did here with far lesser line mates. Um, sometimes it's just about fit and opportunity, I guess. But if he can replicate anything close to that, I think the vision for Nick Ritchie is the Coyotes will flip him at the deadline and they'll acquire even more assets, whether it's in the form of prospects or draft picks. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he was playing, I'm seeing here, with Barrett Hayton and Louis Erickson for the majority of his time. <laughs> yes. Good job. <laughs> Louis Erickson's still around, right? No. no Louis, 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 
Eriksson is is looking to play in Sweden. Yeah, his contract expired, and he's he's exploring a couple of opportunities in Sweden and Switzerland right now. Who was I? Think? Oh, Andrew Ladd. He's is he around? <laughs> yeah, he's got one more year on his deal. I'm still not certain what's going to happen there because you know that story about how hard he battled to get back to basically three years out of the league. And I give him a lot of credit because he was he was practicing on his own some days. He was just basically seeing a psychiatrist to, to overcome some mental issues. Mm. And he made his way back to the game. So I give the guy a lot of credit. But at the end of last season, he told me my body's pretty banged up again. So I'm curious if he's going to make a go of this for one more season or if he just if he accomplished everything, if he proved to himself that he could get back, he got past that thousand game barrier. And, and maybe he's done everything that he needs to do because he's already won two Stanley Cups. Yeah, true. And, and yeah, but good for him. He, he got in 51 games. I see that uh, Brian Little is also in the roster. He's not going to play at all. He's not going to play, though. <laughs> that would be no, a fun reunion. He, no, he's hurt. He's he's badly hurt. I doubt he'll ever play hockey again, no, sadly. Sure. So, yeah. so he's just going to be a guy that's going to be on IR, IR for them. So uh, you mentioned that they have a defenseman that you think they're going to also try to showcase a little bit and then flip at the deadline. I'm going to take a guess here. I'm pretty sure you're talking about Shane Gosses for hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but still, like, what a nice uh, return they got from Philly with uh, Gosbeher. Uh, Shane did what he did to Mark Strait all those years ago. He did it to Jacob Chikrin, stealing the top power play job that we thought was, like, a sure thing for Chikrin. And Gosbeher comes in and puts up 14 goals and 51 points in 82 games. Like, again, like, it's, like, on a team that was the lowest-scoring team in the league. Some of these guys are having, I guess, for Gosbeher, it's not a career year, but a resurgent year for him. Now he has one year left on that 4.5 million dollar contract which now doesn't look so bad before we we're talking about oh man this contract what a anchor now it's like i think a lot of teams would be happy to take one year of glasses behair for 4.5 uh so do you think like it sounds like you're saying it's just a matter of time before they trade him but probably in the meantime that means he's back on top power play and they're going to try to juice him for as much as he can get so they can get the best return i think so yeah and what's crazy about that philadelphia trade if you remember literally nothing went back the other way to philadelphia the Coyotes got Gostas Bear and a couple draft picks. Philadelphia got nothing. They basically just unloaded the salary. Exactly. Similar to what's happened with uh, Pacioretty, what's happened with Bjorkstrand. I guess it's happening a lot in the league. These teams don't want to yeah, hold on to these contracts. Yeah, and 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 nobody expected Gostas Bear to do what he did. You know, when I talked to people in Philly, they told me that you know they thought he still could be effective running a power play, and he's still a, gr- a great passer. He has great vision. But he had lost that explosive step that made him, you know, that dynamic player that we had seen earlier in his career. And that may be so, but he seems to have adjusted to maybe the loss of of that first step, you know, based on some of the injuries he had, because he was really, really effective for the Coyotes last season. You know, top 50 points as a defenseman, if if you're not effective offensively, he did do a good job. He did such a good job running their power play that they had to have him out there, especially when, you know, they had Phil Kessel on one flank. And, and they had to have those two guys out there. So there was no place for Jacob Chikrin on the number one power play. Uh, and that's that's a sore subject, one of many with Jacob Chikrin that we'll get to in a moment. But I would expect Shane Gostasbera to reprise that role because he was effective in it, because uh, Andre Turin, you really liked him in that role. And yes, they want to showcase him. If he has another season like this season, what are you trading Shane Gostasbera for at the trade deadline? You might get a first round pick for Shane Gostaspare at the trade deadline, and the Coyotes literally got him for nothing. Yeah, that would be amazing. And yeah, you would think for sure a lot of teams could go for a 50 point defenseman. So I guess up until the trade deadline, then you're, it sounds like you're expecting he'll do something similar. Like, do you think we still got a 50 point guy that we'll be drafting next year? 
I don't see any reason why not based yeah. on the, the situations he's going to be in. Yeah. Cool. And then, yeah, but let's talk about Chikrin, who had that insane 60-point pace breakout in 2020-21. He shot up the D charts. Like, one of the people were talking about him as one of the top D in the league. I know he didn't get a lot of Norris Trophy love, even though I think that probably has to do more with the fact that he was in Arizona and maybe not because of his play. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, going into last year, again, kind of someone who seemed like a sure thing, you know, like at least to be on the top power play. But yeah, Gossip Bear comes in, bumps Chikrin from the power play. Uh, then... He like doesn't really produce that much at even strength. He was taking a lot of shots, but I guess that shooting percentage went down quite a bit. So he was all the way back to being a sub 40 point pace player. And then to add insult to injury, he had it, the injury. He had injury trouble, including that lower body injury in mid-March that kept him out for the remainder of the season. So like with Keller, I guess, of course, I want the health update. Uh, but first, I guess the opposite question as with Keller, like what happened to Chikrin last year? Was it just that he lost the power play and that was it? Or like, was he playing worse than he did the year before? Was it because he was suffering through these injuries? Is it bad luck? Like what changed for him to go from a 60-point player down to less than 40-point player? A lot. Uh, the power play definitely had a lot to do with it. Um, it, it, it lost some, he, he lost some confidence and it, I think it got the relationship with Andre Turney off on a, a bad foot that he wasn't going to put him in that situation. But right. listen, the coach's job is to play the guy who you think is most effective in that role. And we all saw it. We all saw what Gostas Bear was doing on the power play. So I didn't think it was unfair what he did. The other thing that Jacob had to deal with last year, Andre put him in a lot of situations where if you, if you look at defensive zone starts, for instance, he was taking a lot more defensive zone starts than he ever had in his career. They were putting him in a lot of situations where they were saying, okay, let's see how you handle being a number one defenseman in this league against the toughest matchups on a consistent basis. And to be honest, over the first couple of months of the season, he really struggled in that situation. Now, I don't want to see, say that he can't do it because you look at his age and you look at the general development path of defensemen in this league. I think it's the hardest position to play in the game. It takes a while to learn that. So he, I think he could still grow into that. The guy is a workout fiend. He's got a great attitude about improving himself in the game. But I don't think that the situation that he was in between the power play and the matchups and the role sat well with him. And, and I think his, his game suffered as a result of that. I think a lot of it was mental. The, the, the interesting thing now is going to be, you've, you've heard Jacob Chikrin's name mentioned a ton in rumors. I even thought he was going to be traded at the deadline and something sort of fell apart there at the last minute. Yeah. I still think it could happen. I know there are a lot of rumors with Ottawa, but I think there's, those are only being driven by one side. I don't think those are coming from the Coyotes. <laughs> um, they're still listening. But the return on Jacob Chikrin is still going to be very high. People keep waiting for the Coyotes to lower their demands for Jacob Chikrin because of the season he had. Well, Bill Armstrong's not going to do it. He's got three more years left. This, this player at, at 4.6 million AAV. They know what he can do if he's right, if he's on his game. There's no way they're going to devalue that asset and take less. And if they don't get the offer... Jacob Chicken is going to be right back here in camp. And if that happens, if he shows up for training camp, it's going to be really interesting to watch the relationship between he, Bill Armstrong, and Andre Turinyi because there will be uh, a head-to-head meeting. They're going to, they're going to sort out some issues, and, and, and some of those are going to be they're, – they're not convinced that Jacob Chicken bought in completely last season. And for evidence, they're going to show him Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, Lawson Krause, even Barrett Hayden at the end of the season, a number of other players took major steps forward under Andre Turinyi. So why didn't you, Jacob? What was the issue? I think that's going to be the core of that discussion 
if he ends up back here at the start of camp. Huh. I mean, if I was Chikrin, I would be like, well, look at what those guys did the year before. It was easy for them to take a step forward. How am I supposed to take a step forward from this amazing season I just had? But probably they won't like that. So maybe I would actually keep my mouth That would up. definitely be the wrong answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm not a professional athlete, I guess. Uh, I wanted to even ask, like, why, why would they trade him? I guess you're giving some reasons if he didn't buy in or whatever. But I, I remember I asked you last year, similarly about Christian Dvorak. His name was in the trade rumors. And I was like, why would they trade him? He's, he's young. He's good. And you said, look, if they get a decent return, then they'll be listening. They did get a first round pick and another pick for him. So I guess they were happy with that return for Dvorak. With Chikrin, like, is it just a matter of if they can get something amazing, they'll do it, but they're in no rush, kind of like what you're saying? Or like, like I'm just curious like, why his name's even in the rumors because he seems like, or at least from two seasons ago, it seemed like a kind of defenseman you could build a team around a little bit. Because he wants to be traded. Well, okay. Quite simply, he wants out. And, and his camp is making it pretty clear that he wants out. So they'll try and accommodate him, but you know, they're going to have to work with the Kaidas. It, here's the thing. Jacob Chikrin doesn't have any trade control. He doesn't have a no move or a, a no trade. But you can't say, okay, I'm not going to go to this team or I'm not going to go to this team because that's not the situation I want to be in either. At some point, you got to work with the team. You, do you want out, but you think you can pick the six or seven teams that you get to go to? That's not how it works. He's Is that what was happening? I, I, I've heard... It alluded to yes, I've heard that hmm. that was that was some of what was going on, and they're not gonna they're not gonna play that game. I can tell you that if he wants to get out and they do find a deal for him, if if he's gonna say no, I'm not gonna play for that team. Well, then he's gonna be right back here. Like I said, he's under contract for three more years, and if 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 he's not happy with some of those situations, then he's gonna have to play here. He's gonna have to perform here. And really, the way I look at this. If they don't get the offer that they want in this offseason, and it's very possible they won't because of the year that he had last year, Jacob Chikrin is going to have to play his way out of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Just, much like I said with Phil Kessel last year, who, in spite of the points that you mentioned, couldn't find the back of the net. His shot was off. He, was, he couldn't score goals. And, and that's a big reason why you would want Phil Kessel. So you need to play your way out when you're in that situation. If Phil Kessel didn't do it. Jacob Chikrin will probably need to do that if he wants out of Arizona. Right. He'll have Goss Bear standing in his way, unfortunately, from that power play opportunity, unless maybe he can like just uh, now pull a Goss Bear and steal the job back by being so good. So this is a very this is a more interesting storyline than I even realized uh, when I started talking to you. I'm really excited to see now what happens with Chikrin this season. Yeah. And just one more thing on that is you can understand a player in that situation. Like, look, it's hard to be a Coyote right now. Right. Lawson Krause just signed a five year contract. He knows he's going to play the next three years in a 5,000 seat arena in a rebuild. They're probably not going to be in a, a playoff team for those next three years at least. That's not an easy situation to be in as a player. When you're a guy like Chikrin, you're going into the prime of your career. Do you really want to spend it in that situation? I don't blame a guy mm-hmm. at all if he says, I don't want to be a part of this. This is not for me. Um, but again, if, if you want out, you got to perform because that's still your job. You got to perform at a high level and then maybe they will be able to accommodate you. Okay, yeah. So, And as far as the injury, though, are we expecting him to be 100% healthy? Yeah. In fact, he was skating right before the trade deadline, so I think I think he was really close to returning. I think they just shut it down because it was so late in the season. There was yeah, no sense risk in it. risking it, but I think he could have come back late last season even. 
Okay, cool. And then, okay, so then so we've talked about Gossip Hair and Chikra. And again, kind of like the forwards now, I'm thinking like, okay, so who else should I ask you about on the decor? In fact, I wonder how many of our listeners could even name uh, <laughs> any other Coyotes defensemen. I know they have a prospect that they're excited about, Victor Soderstrom. Do you think he could make the team next year? He had uh, 19 points in 32 games with Tucson in the AHL. He also got in 16 games with the Coyotes, averaged 16 minutes, you know, like, so not even like third pairing minutes. And, and he didn't manage a point, but he was an 11th overall pick in 20. 20- 2019 uh, do you think Soderstrom is ready to take the step forward I don't I don't think he's ready I, I do think he needs another full season in the AHL he has a chance by having a really good camp to earn a spot on this NHL team uh, I think he will be given that opportunity but I don't think he's quite ready so I think he'll spend another year there one guy to keep an eye on uh, is a guy that they got in the in the Darcy Kemper trade along with the first round pick from Colorado Connor Timmons, a big right-handed guy who did see some time with the Avs before he came over on that stacked blue line. Um, He's going to be coming back from a knee injury that he suffered early in the season. He should be ready to go as well. That's a guy that should step into a regular role on this blue line and get a chance to develop and grow. Okay, cool. So that'll be a a fun young player to uh, watch and see what he can do. Because last year, yeah, there were some names there that uh, I definitely hadn't heard of. J.J. Moser, Dyson Mayo. They love Uh, J.J. (laughs) Yeah, they love J.J. He's another guy, a a find, you know, a second round draft pick. And they they really like what he I I, and I did as well. I thought he played really well when he came up. He just showed an unbelievable maturity. I think he has a future here, actually. That's great. I mean, very impressive. Like he was just drafted in 2021. I think it's just him and Cole Sillinger were the only players from that draft that played, or I guess right at the end of the year, like Eklund K or Eklund was yeah. at the start. But yeah, like played the majority of the season, I should say. Yeah. Cool. Well, all right. And then I guess with that, let's end on the prospects because this is where we get really excited about this team. Or, or I hope we do. I guess you'll tell me what you thought. Like, we, let's start with that 2022 draft hall. They had five picks in the first uh, two two rounds. It should have even been more picks, but they made that trade to get Connor Geeky. But let's just start right at the top. Third overall. They had the chance to get Shane Wright. You know what's really funny, Craig, is uh, at the end of our interview last year, I was like, uh, good luck to the Coyotes next year. Then I was like, uh, you know, correcting myself. I was like, well, I guess I should say good luck in coming in last place because that's the plan. And then I was like, yeah, hopefully uh, when I'm talking to you next year, they'll have uh, gotten Shane Wright. And you were like, yeah, hopefully. And now they didn't get the first overall pick, but they actually did get the chance to get Shane Wright a third, but they passed on him and took Logan Cooley. So I'm very interested to uh, hear what you thought of that pick and, and you know, do think it was the right choice and how excited should we be about logan cooley well truthfully no one knows whether it was the right choice at this point all the all the draft grades and the analysis right after the draft is just pie in the sky at this point these, yeah. these are young kids and they have to develop so we'll wait and see but it really is interesting to see what happened with shane Wright, to see him drop all the way to fourth and i don't know if you saw that clip of him when, when he fell to three and somebody asked him, are you excited about this? And he's like, yeah, Arizona, I'm excited about this. And then the Coyotes get to the stage and announce they're taking Logan Cooley. I talked to a lot of scouts at the draft. And while Shane Wright had a good season, and he could still be a really good player in this league, a lot of guys worried that there just wasn't that wow factor, that dynamic element to his game. And a lot of scouts worried that he's already close to his ceiling. Like, like there's not a lot of room left for development it was really fascinating to watch him fall all the way to number four. Logan Cooley, on the other hand, talked to a couple of uh, analysts who thought he was the most dynamic player in this draft. Uh, Chris Peters, uh, one of the draft analysts who works for Daily Faceoffs, is one of those guys that told me he thought he was the best player in the draft. The Coyotes have lacked center 
depth center talent for so long. Really, you look at the last two decades of this franchise, they haven't had a legitimate number one center since Jeremy Roenick left town. That's how long it's been. <laughs> is that so? <true>? You, <laughs> Yeah, it really is. Go, go through their rosters and you'll be amazed to see it. The guys, even the year they went to the 2012 Western Conference Final, their number one center was Martin Hansel, who was really probably better suited at number two or number three. Right. Wow. I remember Hansel. Oh, that yeah. doesn't bring me back. I, I remember I would draft him in fantasy and he'd be doing really well for me. Then he'd get injured all the time. <laughs> yes, he was injured all the time. And never a big point producer, right? His, his job was to clear space, net mm-hmm. front guy. He, he, was, he was strong on face-offs defensively, but not, not really what you want from a number one center. So they're hoping they have that in Cooley, um, who is... He is an incredibly dynamic player, maybe slightly undersized, but I don't think at, you know, whatever he is now, 5'10 and a half, 5'11, that he's, his size is really a detriment to his game at this point. Um, but then as insurance, they move up, they, they move a couple picks to, to move up and get Connor Geeky as well. And the reason they did that is because of that size. And he's got a total package as well. They really like a lot of elements of his game. But again, Bill Armstrong wants a bigger lineup. These are the kinds of lineups he built in St. Louis. Connor Geeky gives you that size. So if you're looking down the road at a, you know, as it stands right now, at least, who knows what, what they pick up next year in the draft. But right now, if you're looking at Logan Cooley, Connor Geeky, Barrett Hayden as your, your top three centers, there, there's some reason for optimism when you yeah, think about sure. the potential of those players. And I don't know when the Coyotes have had three center prospects at the same time where you could get that excited about the potential that they could bring. Yeah, and uh, apparently this next draft has a ton of high-level sea yes. talent, and it doesn't sound from our conversation that we're expecting the Coyotes to have a no. great season. So they're probably Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, well, I think they'll take either one of those guys. They'd be very happy. And then, then you're looking at a really intriguing center prospect pool. Yeah, so, so it sounds like you're behind this trade to uh, trade up and get Connor Geeky. I know some people were saying that maybe it was a bit of a reach to give up the three picks and then pick Geeky over maybe, I don't know, like a Frank Nazar or Lekaramaki or something. I think the Coyotes could do it because they had so many picks. They still had three second-round picks and another first-round pick coming. So it's, it's kind of crazy, right, when you, when you look at the, the, just the glut of picks that they had. Um, they, they had the draft capital to make this sort of move. And then it's just about trusting your draft board. It, you know, who, it, other analysts may say, well, I don't agree with Geeky. Well, nobody knows at this point. Right, mean one, one side is right. One side is wrong. You trust the scouts that have been there at every game. The Coyotes clearly have spent a lot of time scouting this player. We, we've talked in the past about how much they've invested in their scouting department. Now under Bill Armstrong, a scout by trade himself versus past years, They really believe in the staff that they've assembled. So when that's the case and you've identified Connor Geeky as a guy that you see that high, you go ahead and make the move because you have the draft capital to do it. Yeah. And then they also grabbed the, yeah, this uh, big defenseman, Lamoureux, at the end of the first round. And then they got uh, Eric Duda in the second round, Julian Lutz. We'll see. Uh, They got five defensemen in the draft as well. And when you talk about premium positions, Center and D are it, right? Those are, those are the positions that you're looking. You, you, you struggle to find those positions, to fill those positions through the draft. So they really focused on those true premium positions in the draft. 
Yeah. So yeah, I guess like you said, it's like I can't ask you too much about these guys, and we'll have to just no. see. Next year yes. we'll talk about them. But one guy we do have to talk about is of course Dylan Genther, the ninth overall pick in twenty twenty one. Just had a phenomenal season with Edmonton in the WHL. Forty five goals, ninety one points in fifty nine games. Almost a, a goal per game. Almost two points per game. Uh, got to imagine, when we were talking last year, you were saying how the Coyotes feel like they got a real gift with Gunther falling all the way to ninth. Are they feeling even better about it right now? Like, do you think if they did a redraft, he'd be top five for sure? I think so. And and I think I mentioned to you, I think Corey Promen had him like Second, number one, number said, two, yeah. uh, number two on his board last year. Um, he's a goal scorer. Um, he's just got a phenomenal shot, an ability to do it for in it in a, a number of ways. It's a hard shot, but it's also release. It's also changing angle. It's also accuracy. He's just a terrific goal scorer. We got a glimpse of it actually when he was up here for camp, but he really put up big numbers in the WHL last year. It's a real shame that he didn't get to play in the Memorial Cup because he got injured in the WHL finals. So he had a knee injury that he's rehabbing. He's going to be okay as well. He skipped the World Juniors just to rehab. He's actually here in Arizona, but they are just sky high on this guy. They do view him as a number one wing, you know, number one line wing, and they're really excited. Having said that, I would still be surprised if Dylan Gunter were on the roster next season. I don't think it makes sense for him to be in this environment. I don't know that you want to put Dylan Gunter in the sort of matchups that he would have to face because he's not a guy you can play on your fourth line. He's got to play with skill. So do you want him facing those kind of matchups in his first NHL season? I think the better path for him is probably to go back to Edmonton for one more season. And then who knows, maybe even seize time in the AHL after that when he's eligible I, I railed against the uh, CHL-NHL agreement with, uh, with regard to 20-year-old uh, uh, pl- players. You know, you have to be 20 to play in the AHL if you're coming out of the CHL. It still drives me crazy because he's a guy who could probably benefit from playing in Tucson this year, but that can't happen. So my guess, if I had to bet, I would say he'd go back to the WHL for another season. Okay, yeah, and yeah, I definitely agree with you. Like, why bring him to the NHL now? We're go we're going for uh, Bedard here. So why are you bringing in skill and and wasting a year of that ELC? Uh, yep. and so is there any other? Like, they have a bunch of other prospects on the team. Are there any that you want to flag on your end? Like, just stake your claim and say, I think this guy is going to be something. Before you know it, specifically, like anyone even uh, for next year that we should be watching out for. I think uh, you, you mentioned Victor Soderstrom, and I'm curious. I, I don't think he's quite ready yet, but two forwards that could make some noise and got some time with the team last year out of out of Tucson. Matias Michelli really had a terrific season. He was he was he was on track to become the single season uh, all time points leader for Tucson before they had to call him up because of all their injuries. Still think he could use another full season in the AHL, but he's an interesting player to watch. Uh, the other guy is Jan Yannick because he plays Bill Armstrong style. He's Big, physical, plays with an edge, loves to get in guys' faces. He's another guy who could factor into this uh, this lineup sometime down the road. I don't know if he's quite ready to make the NHL leap, but if he if he isn't this year, I, I would imagine he would be ready the following season. Okay, cool. Yeah, so Michelli and Unique to watch. Uh, uh, one of our patrons, Schwab Squad, wanted me to ask about Cam Deneen. <laughs> some of these people are sending me some really deep cuts here. What, what do you think about Cam Deneen? I think Cam Deneen is a, a, you know, a, a guy who's going to get call-ups when they need... They need a body. I, I just think that's his role. I don't think he's ever going to develop into a, a, 
a, a regular NHL defenseman. Okay, that's fair. Hey, that's still uh, very exciting to get some time in the NHL. Uh, all right, Craig, this has been a blast. The time has just flown by. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk Coyotes with me. Obviously, people listening know that you're the best, foremost journalist when it comes to everything with Arizona. So if people want to keep following everything you're doing, I mean, I can say, like, obviously, they should follow you on Twitter at Craig S. Morgan. Uh, do you want to tell people how, how else they can follow all of your great work? Sure. The, the website is gophnx.com. It's PHNX Sports. So that's where you can find my work um, and Hopefully, if we do this again next year, if you have me back next year, definitely we'll be talking about a little more optimism because, you know, after after this season, I think some of these young prospects that are in the system, we're going to start seeing some of them filter through to the NHL roster. And that's when the fan base here can start really starting to get excited. They can see the future on the ice and, and that'll be something worth watching. Yeah, and definitely we'll talk after the draft and we'll also get to talk about whoever they get in that 2023 draft. You had a different website last year, right? Yeah, I was on my own after the Athletic, uh, you know, gutted basically the entire Arizona Bureau. I was on my own for a year uh, doing a sub stack, but then uh, PHNX Sports formed here. It's actually part of uh, All City Sports, which has sites in Chicago and Denver as well. Um, But that's I jumped on board there because... We do, we do three live shows a week. We do two audio pods a week, and I still do all the writing. But it gave me an opportunity to branch out and do other things and also to work with, with a guy that I've known forever, Steve Peters, who was the Coyotes video and assistant coach for 23 years. He's actually alongside me on our podcast now. So it's really cool to work with someone who has that perspective. Uh, I think it brings a lot. and It gives us a, a chance to do a lot of things that I haven't done in the past, just writing. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, what's the name of the podcast? It's just uh, PHNX Coyotes. Okay, perfect. So people can just search for that on uh, Spotify. PHNX underscore Coyotes, yeah, and you'll find it, yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, thanks again uh, for coming on. And I guess once again, I'll be like, good luck to the Coyotes, but not too much good luck. Let's uh, get right. Connor Bedard. Right, same goals of the season as last season. <laughs> yeah. All right, have a great night. You too. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.